Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. At Morgan Stanley, old-school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When I first started doing this show, there were tons of people speculating that I keel over on air with months. Just too high energy. Sorry to disappoint. But man, if I were betting against my own longevity, you know what? There are four weeks of the year where I would put my money on. And those are the four hardest weeks of earnings season when we hear from nearly all the big cap tech companies, like next week. Teddy gave us a clue of how the market might react with the Dow advancing 29 points, S&P gaining 0.25%, but the tech-heavy Nasdaq jumping 0.95%. Driven by an immense and frankly bizarre amount of short covering, traders who bought stock to close out their bets on once high-flying stocks, lest they be crushed. This time, Wall Street reacted positively to the companies that reported excellent earnings rather than freaking out over some strong macro data, as they call it, this morning. This suggests the economy might be too hot. We do have a Fed meeting next Wednesday, but in a bold change of thought, this market's now reacting more to individual companies than to Fed speculation, in part because they believe the Fed might be done with gigantic rate hikes and will become less intrusive when we try to pick stocks. Wouldn't that be fabulous? So let's drill down to the game plan for next week to find out what is going on. All right, now Monday, placidity reigns. That's right. Monday begins benignly enough with Whirlpool and NXP. That's the semiconductor company after the close. I think Whirlpool will talk about supply constraints running the course, but we'll also probably hear about a more frugal consumer slowing housing. housing. Suboptimal. NXP, company makes chips for the auto industry. Today, one-time semiconductor kingpin Intel reported horrendous earnings. Normally, that would have brought down the entire group, including this one. But money managers are getting wise to that action, so they use the weakness to buy the stock of NXP, which costs up about a buck and a half. I bet that bullishness continues. Tuesday begins the nightmare. The severe overload of earnings that will cause cross-currents galore. I dread it. I kind of want to rent a room next to the New York Stock Exchange where we are right now, lest I be distracted by anything, including my wife or kids. I'm not saying these companies are trying to work me to death, but would it kill them just to space them out a little wee bit? Then first is Caterpillar. 
Now, this giant machinery company, the newest position of our travel trust, by the way, should be able to tell a story of infrastructure spending galore, just like steelmaker Nucor did on our show last night. I think Cat will have a great quarter. In the old days, nobody would have been willing to touch Cat at this point because the Fed meets next Wednesday and they're going to be raising rates. But in this market, if Cat tells a good story, people buy it nonetheless. Exxon reports, too. Today, the market hated Chevron's disappointment. I think Exxon's got a decent story to tell, but not as good as Chevron's story. By the way, Chevron should never have been hit so hard. And as I told members of the investing club at our morning meeting at 10.20 a.m. today, I would buy Chevron right here. We also get Pfizer's results. 3.7% yield has been tarnished by its association with the remarkably unsustainable set of, of COVID vaccines and, and the earnings that come from them. I think there's, a, there's much more to Pfizer than that. Wall Street seems to disagree with me. Now, United Parcel reports. I'm concerned that they might have some sort of union issues this year. FedEx doesn't, so I'd rather own FedEx if you think e-commerce will re-accelerate. After the close, we hear from Intel's arch-rival AMD. I believe there are many problems that plagued Intel, including a glut of basic chips. But one of Intel's problems is really that AMD's got a great portfolio now, and they keep taking market share from Intel and, yes, eating their lunch. Wednesday morning. T-Mobile reports, and I think we're going to see that once again, they're taking share from AT&T and Verizon. The stock's a horse, and it will not be denied. If a stock traffic jam isn't enough at 2 o'clock Wednesday, we get the results of the Fed Open Market Committee meeting. Now, there's a universal consensus that they'll raise interest rates by a quarter of a point. Anything more than that will frighten us. A decision not to raise rates at all might show too much weakness. A quarter point with a statement that they'll remain vigilant will allow the bulls to party on. Now, after the close, we hear from Meta. Yes, the artist formerly known as Facebook. It's, this company's a black box. Has Mark Zuckerberg been spending too much time in the unprofitable metaverse? Is Reels taking share from TikTok? Has Instagram reaccelerated? All I know is the stock's had a real run. And while we own it for the Chapel Trust, we're not pounding the table on this one. Not here. No way, no how. It just went from 90 in November to 151 today. Thursday's one of the four hardest days of the year. And they're all hard for the same reason. It's when we get earnings reports from Apple, from Amazon, from Alphabet, and a host of other important companies, all in one session. The day starts off with Eli Lilly, which should give you some insight into how it's expecting big demand for its diabetes drug once the FDA approves it as a weight loss treatment. I think that their drug, Majorno, could be the greatest selling drug of all time, which is why it's such a big position for our investment club. When Honeywell reports in the morning, I expect a clean story about aerospace and slightly difficult story about software and climate controls. We own it for the Chapel Trust. We like the optionality of what Honeywell can do with its huge balance sheet. Come on, Darius, a damn check. Put up some good numbers and make some changes. After the close is when big tech tries to kill me. There's Apple. I think we can all concede that they won't be able to meet the estimates because of weakness in China. So the call will be about the future. Unfortunately, Apple's big, uh, you know, uh, Apple's future may not be big enough after this remarkable recent run. You know, this stock is just going from 125 at the beginning of the month to 145 now. I always say own it, don't trade it. But I'm sure the fast money will start Apple. They're going to short the stock ahead of the quarter. Uh, They're going to try to make a few bucks. Let them go make a few bucks. I like the stock. Then there's Amazon, which we own for the Chapel Trust since for, like, I don't know, forever. Can't recommend it here, though, because the company has way too many people on its payroll after overhiring during the pandemic and the e-commerce business is slowing. Why not sell it? Because if Amazon does the right thing, as sad as it might be, and let 100,000 workers go, you heard that, 100,000, this stock will soar. Alphabet's been taking some medicine, but it too needs to get smaller. It's not in the interest of the company, by the way, to show strength when the government's investigated for antitrust violations. But if it's a good quarter, 
they'll certainly tell us. I'm not sure what to make of Starbucks here, given that the Renaissance has been so powerful. But anything they say about China that's positive should allow the stock to keep ramping higher, which is why the Chapel Trust has held it. And we still tell inv- members of the investing club we like it. Ford reports, too. It's got the lineup of electric vehicles that, that it can crow about, but with a big caveat. The new price cuts from Tesla may compromise the Mach-E pricing. The F-150 has reservations for the entire year, though, so I'm not so worried. Here's an oddball one. Deckers. Uh, they're the parent of Uggs. Now, when you go to a Bed Bath & Beyond, which you know is struggling, you do see a huge amount of Uggs product. Bed Bath can't pay its bills. We know that. I don't even want to think where that inventory is going to go, but I do know this. It will hurt the stock of Deckers. And if those are not enough reports for you, we also are hitting the road for our 20th back-to-school tour at the University of Miami. Yes, it's back! It's going to be a big day for everyone. That's universally known as the U. Finally, Friday, we get to the end of the onerous week when we hear from Regeneron. And I think they'll talk about new drugs that are quite out of the bottom line. Will it matter, though? You can take your cue from the action in Pfizer and Merck and Bristol-Myers, which we hear from on Thursday. I like Regeneron. But there are more important things than earnings on Friday. We have the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report. What a week. And the presumption will be that the Fed has some idea about those numbers before its Wednesday meeting. Who knows? If wage inflation is very strong, the quarter point move will be criticized. If it's weaker, we'll be hearing all about that hard landing again. But if they sneak in a 50 basis point hike, holy cow, it would be totally unexpected and could repeal this recent rally even if, well, let's just say they try to telegraph it ahead of time. Bottom line, after the tsunami of earnings and the Wednesday Fed meeting and then the Friday labor report, this coming hellacious week will finally be over. Wish me luck, because I'm going to need it. Let's go to George in Pennsylvania. George! How you doing, Jim? It's been two years uh, since the mean stock mania kicked off. So my question for you, if I could have your blessing on a small speculative position on AMC. All right. Well, look, AMC, you're absolutely right. It's been two years in that GameStop period. AMC, Adam Aaron's store on AMC. I'll bless a small speculative position. And I only do it for one reason, because you call it speculative, because that's what it is, because the movie theater business right now is not doing well. Michael in South Carolina. Michael. Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, it's Quite been really fun being a member of the uh, club this, uh, this latest market. Thank you. Uh, Jim, one of my winners from last year had a very bad week, plunging almost 9% on Wednesday. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Nextair Energy following their recent revenue miss and concerns about the SEC complaints connected to uh, Florida Power and Light. Oh, look, I, I, next year is a good company. I'm not going to go there. I think that this is just a great long-term situation. We've liked it before. It's got growth. Utilities with growth are hard to find. Sam in Colorado. Sam. Hello? Sam, you're up. Hi, Jim. Listen. Sam. We've got to talk about one of the biggest corporate head scratchers that, that I've, I've heard of in the last year. You know, we've got this fantastic company, this stable cash flow generating machine that we know is Adobe. And they made this $20 billion acquisition of an unprofitable tech company, Sigma. $20 billion. I just, I can't, I can't buy into Adobe knowing that they've got this gigantic you know, $20 billion dilution. And, you know, it, it concerns me because this is exactly what happened to a company like GE back in the 90s. Sam, i got to tell you, although I think that, that uh, Adobe, I don't want to put it with GGs, had real problems, but I didn't like the acquisition either. 
And so I understand your trepidation. It bothers me. I wish they hadn't done it. I know they put the deck out and they've, they've explained it. But for me, no. Uh, and I really do like the company that is Adobe. All right. After the tsunami of earnings and the Wednesday fr- uh, Fed meeting and then the Friday labor report, this hellacious week will at last be over. But we got to go through it first. Hey, on Mad Money tonight, it's a battle royale on Mad. I'm tapping the technicals and comparing the Warren Buffett-backed stocks to the hot stocks of the NASDAQ to see who comes out on top. Plus, is Rockwell Automation rocking? I'm going to sit down with the CEO for an exclusive. And the housing market has been shaky, but I don't know. What does it mean for the demand in lumber? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Warehouser, fresh off of earnings. And yes, next week, the back-to-school tour returns. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Have the stars aligned for Rockwell Automation? This company makes equipment and software that helps other companies automate their manufacturing operations. After roaring during the pandemic, the stock pulled back hard in the first six months of last year because of supply chain constraints, constraints, you know, a lot of semis and stuff like that. In fact, the shares were pretty expensive, and a market that had turned against the high multiple names hurt too. But in recent months, Rockwell's made a huge comeback. They fixed the supply chain problems, the stock got much cheaper, and the company just keeps posting excellent returns. Rockwell Automation delivered a 50-cent earnings beat. That's right, beat. Off a $1.96 basis, 9.9% organic growth. Wow, that was well above what Wall Street was looking for. Even better management raised their guidance across the board. It is a fascinating story. Now, the stock's back to the 280s, and I want to know if it can keep going, even if the Fed engineers the soft landing, or maybe because of them. So uh, let's not take it from me, though. Let's check in with, with Blake Barrett. He's the chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. Get a better read in the quarter. Mr. Brett, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, it's great to be back, Jim. Boy, I got to tell you, Blake, these numbers are extraordinary. The organic industry, for discrete, automotive up 25, semi up 20, for hybrid, food and beverage up 15, and then oil and gas up mid-single digits, mining up 10%. How did this all come together like this? Well, automation has never been more important for our customers across all of these vertical segments of manufacturing. They're looking to be more efficient. They're looking to incorporate sustainability. 
And on top of that, certain of these industries are really in generation, once in a generation investments in things like electric vehicles, batteries, semiconductor capacity, particularly in the U.S., and things like that. Well, I don't want to say you're the only game in town, but when I look through your conference call, I mean, I do get the sense that, uh, you, you, for instance, Ford's Blue Oval Greenfield plant in Kentucky and Tennessee. Tell us about that. Everybody knows Ford. And so this would be the kind of thing that people who don't know your company would really understand. So particularly in the U.S., we've had uh, a very strong market share for a long time. We've got a great channel and we have deep domain expertise in automobile manufacturing. Ford's been a strong customer for decades. And as they move to electric vehicles, our solutions, our people, our expertise are really great fit for what they're trying to do. Now, I, when I saw your semiconductor sales grow over 20%, the first thing I thought of, of course, obviously, is the CHIPS Act. I don't know how we're gonna do the CHIPS Act without Rockwell Automation. Have you already been involved or is that you're further down the food chain? No, we're already involved in a lot of these investments, and uh, traditionally we've provided things like the facilities management control system, so making sure that the clean room environments are clean, the right temperature, and so on. But we've expanded our scope of supply, and so the wafer transport, the cybersecurity resilience of these facilities, these are all great opportunities for us. Now, do you think that we're for real? I mean, do, are we really going to spend the money and become a very important manufacturer of semiconductors again? I think there's every bit of intention in doing that. I think we're off to a good start. What's going to be crucial is developing the ecosystem around the basic fabs. You know, there's a whole ecosystem that's right. needed for us to make this stick. I'm glad you said that because one of the reasons why I know a lot of them left or decided to build in Taiwan is because the ecosystem's there. We're really going to have to greenfield the ecosystem, too. Tell us about reshoring because that's a term we hear, but we don't know who does it and how it happens. So I, I like talking more about shoring than reshoring sure. because in a lot of cases, this isn't bringing things back to the U.S. It's making the U.S. an outsized beneficiary of the new investment. And we're definitely seeing that as people are looking at establishing redundant manufacturing, manufacturing closer to the consumer. And of course, the U.S. is still the biggest consumer market for a lot of these products. And so as they're directing more of their new spend towards the U.S., we're in a great place to help. Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting. You had a, an automation fair in Chicago. There were 18,000 customers came. Now, what kind of customers are they? Because that, I don't know, 10 years ago, whether you'd have that many going. No, it was a huge turnout. And the 18,000 was a mix of customers and our distributors, our partners, our employees, because it's a great week for our employees, many of which are new to the company, to see what we're all about these are customers that range from the individual contributors that are keeping our technology running on the second and third shift. They want to see what new things we're coming out with. But it's also the C-suite that's coming as we talk about participating in their digital transformation. It's not just about providing the data from their manufacturing processes, but increasingly it's about taking that data and through our software turning it into insights that really extend their productivity, give their workers superpowers, if you will, to do more with less. And when I read about all these different EV companies, the independent ones, and they're building, should I presume that Rockwell Automation is in their plants? 
we're, we're in just about all of these facilities to one extent or another. Traditionally, that would be about the hardware. That'd be about running the basic automation. And while that value proposition is still as strong as ever, we're adding new value and it's the expertise, it's the consulting as they're marrying the IT systems with the operational technology and additional software in those facilities as well. Well, you're doing a great job. This has been a remarkable time for the company. You've got every single kind of thing that software and hardware is important to emphasize that I didn't enough the software. Blake Barrett, CEO of Rockwell Automation, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. All right, Mayor Bunny's back here for the break. Coming up, it's the workhorse against the show horse. Kramer scans the fault line between Warren Buffett and Fang. Next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Now that we've almost reached the end of January, we need a new way to look at this market. For pretty much the entirety of last year, tech was the bane of your portfolio. The tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 got absolutely eviscerated. Meanwhile, the old, boring blue-chip stocks and the Dow Jones Industrial Average mostly found their footing in the fall and have had major, major comebacks. Generally speaking, the kind of cyclical stocks that usually do poorly in a slowdown have been putting up excellent numbers, and their stocks were on fire. However, we got a new dynamic when January got rolling. Many of the most beaten down tech stocks got a new lease on life, including today, in part because they'd come down so far so fast, and in part because we started seeing signs that the Fed might not raise interest rates aggressively as we thought. Remember, they do talk, they have a meeting next Wednesday. Remember, the most speculative a stock is, the worse it does with higher rates. And there are a ton of speculative enterprises in tech, and that's what what happened, but with some notable exceptions. I want to stick with the old school cyclicals over the recently resurgent tech stocks, especially after today's wholesale romp. You know my mantra, this is still a market where you need companies that make real stuff or provide real services at a profit, and ideally return some of those profits to shareholders with stocks that trade at reasonable valuations. A mouthful, but that's what we talk about all the time at the Investing Club if you want to know more. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's the legendary technician and market historian who we just like so much. He's the number one expert in this, in, in this space since I was a teenager, which, by the way, is a long time ago. Larry's written over a dozen books. Ice created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators that a lot of people use, and you can find them on the, his website, IReallyTrade.com. And his recent track record, holy cow, spectacular. He's the one who called the COVID bottom. Practically everybody else was terrified that we'd never emerge from the lockdown. And just so you know, he did nail this most recent rally, too. I find his calls almost disturbingly accurate. As Williams sees it, the tech-heavy NASDAQ 100 is an index of what he calls show horses. They're great at publicity. 
but they've never been in a street fight, which is why these companies have struggled so much to adjust to the new reality where businesses slow down and nobody wants to give them money. They never had a problem fundraising when rates were ultra low, and they were ultra low for the Great Recession through last year. In short, this is an industry that has all of Silicon Valley's virtues, but also all of its vices. And we don't care about the vices until times get tough. They're innovative, sure, we know that, but they also spend like drunken sailors. They have no discipline. They don't know how to economize. And while they can talk a big game, they can't always deliver. The good ones can, but there are more bad ones than good ones right now. When times are good, Wall Street loves these show horses. There's no doubt about it. Even now, we've had a tech bear market for over a year. The press still treats these companies like they're the protagonists of the stock market. But times aren't good anymore. They're not that bad, really. I mean, people can talk a good game. But they need easy money and the prospect of limitless growth to be investable, neither of which they have in this environment. Instead, especially for, for the last few months, this market's been dominated by what Williams calls the workhorses, boring, reliable companies that put in the work and know how to d- handle difficult situations because they've been put through them so many times. Take most of the stocks in the mighty Dow Jones Industrial Average or the kind of stocks Warren Buffett loves to own for Berkshire Hathaway. Hey, there's a good one. Buffett's always sustained the show horses, which causes him to miss a lot of opportunities. Although he did get Apple, but that's not really a show horse, right? But sticking with the workhorses has helped him tremendously. So what does Larry think? All right, here's the first chart. Take a look. Let's take a look at this. this is the daily chart of the NASDAQ 100. Let's call it the show horse index for lack of a better term. Lately, we've heard a lot of technicians talk about how the NDX is poised to break out above its 200-day moving average, thanks to this January rebound. In fact, over the past two days, the index has broken through that 200-day moving average. But Williams points out that we've seen this movie before. The NASDAQ 100 bumps up to this level, even crossing through it a day or two, and then it drifts right back down. You see, this is actually, it's like, you know, he thinks it's like that. This one didn't get to there. This one here. But, but suffice it to say, the trend is obvious. Now, he's not particularly worried about the Nasdaq, though, because as Williams sees it, the show horse index gets more attention than it deserves. This is not the real market, or at the very least, it's not the whole market. So he doesn't think this can influence everything. Now, take a look at the chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is far more representative of Main Street America. Now, unlike the NDX, the Dow took out its 200-day moving average all the way back in November. And by the way, that was right after interest rates and the dollar peaked. And it has held above it ever since. This is a good-looking chart, okay? Uh, this has got a nice floor here. Williams finds this chart a lot more compelling than what we just saw with the NDX. And hey, you can see the same thing in Berkshire Hathaway. I think it's a great metaphor for what, what's going on right now. It broke out above its 200-day moving average, then briefly tested the floor, okay, and then came roaring higher again. As Williams sees it, Berkshire's been the leader of the pack since last June because Warren Buffett loves value, and this is a market that very much agrees with him. Nice chart. By the way, isn't it funny how bad a head and shoulders always is? Just that's an aside that Larry didn't give me that. Now, Williams is also the master when it comes to looking at the action over a period of time and coming up with seasonal forecasts to tell you when a stock is likely to change course. So take a look at Berkshire Hathaway in black with Larry's true seasonal forecast in blue. He says the seasonal pattern is surprisingly strong here and right now projects a continuation of the current rally. You can see this is he extends that. That's a seasonal. Uh, Williams also likes to take the short term action. Uh, and identify cycles that repeat themselves over and over again, which does happen in stocks. With Berkshire, he spotted an 18-week cycle that's about to turn positive at the beginning of February, which, of course, we're almost there. And it's going to go like that. 
Good news for the workhorse stocks in Warren Buffett's portfolio, huh? Hey, maybe including Apple. They report next week, but we don't know that. Meanwhile, when Williams does a cycle forecast for the NASDAQ 100, just take a look at the weekly charts. If the cycle holds, the index is about to take a turn, not for the better, but for the worse. So let me give you the bottom line here. Even though tech has started the new year strong and it was crazy good today, uh, the charts, as interpreted by Larry Williams, say you need to be a little bit wary of the show horses in the NASDAQ and bet on the workhorses in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I agree with them. This is a market where you want to stick with the backbone of the real economy because nearly all the devastation is happening in the so-called new economy. Now, you know, from members of the club especially, I'm willing to bless some of the highest quality tech names that make a lot of money and do things and fit my criteria and even report, uh, give you money in terms of a big buyback or dividends. Uh, I don't want to miss those. But in the near-term future, let, let's maybe forget about buying the show horses after the spike. And right now, right now, you're getting a great price to send those horses to the glue factory and stick with the workhorses, and particularly with Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. All right, let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. The picture this, Jim. The year is 2030, and I'm cruising down the highway in my cream sickle orange McLaren 720. My question is, which stock did I buy in 2023 to afford such a sweet ride? CrowdStrike or Cloudflare? Wow. Oh, man. I like Matthew at Cloudflare is terrific, and George is, is great at CrowdStrike. Um, I'm going to put you in Cloudflare. And I'll tell you why. Because this crowd, this darn cyber area that CrowdStrike's in has gotten very, very competitive. Too much business. Too many guys going at each other. Whereas Matthew Prince has got a real good long-term view. I'm going, not that George doesn't either, but the competition's too steep where, where CrowdStrike plays. Let's go to Michael uh, in Minnesota. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. And happy Friday to you. Oh, my. No kidding. Oh, I need Friday. What's going on? Well, first of all, I'd like to say your staff is great. Uh, they're amazing. Amazing. Yes. Bought me flowers today for my daughter. Love them. Absolutely. Um, considering the caution around the enterprise space right now, would you consider investing a little bit in Snowflake right now and then perhaps a little bit on the dip? All right. All right. Let's talk Snowflake. That's the the great legendary Frank Slootman who burst. You know, he built service now. He's done so many great things. And recently he came on the show and I asked him about the forecast. And he said the forecast is the forecast. And that won't be over. That won't be over because that is just Belichick personified. And he is the Belichick of tech. I think Snowflake's got a tremendous business model. And I think it's going to be a fantastic long term situation. And I have to admit, I love Frank Slootman. Right. Tech has started the New Year's off strong, but the charts, as driven by Larry Williams, say you got to steer clear of the show horses in the NASDAQ, and you got to bet on the workhorses in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Oh, much more mad money ahead after a tough year in 2022. Warehouser has set up a solid foundation to start the year, and I like that yield. Is now the opportunity, uh, opportune time to construct a winning portfolio? I'll frame up what the future could hold for the CEO, fresh off earnings. Plus, you know what I always say? There's always a bull market somewhere. I'll tell you why the moves in Intel are actually sending bullish signals about the overall market. I'll explain. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Friday Lightning Round.
I have a fascinating story for you. Almost everything you got crushed last year has come roaring back this month. I'm not just talking about stocks, but for commodities, too. For example, do you know that lumber's up 32% for the month? That got me thinking about Warehouser. It's a real estate investment trust. It's one of the world's largest private owners of timberlands, as well as being one of the top manufacturers of wood products in North America. Now, last night, Warehouser reported a mixed quarter. It had lower than expected sales and cash flow, uh, but better than expected earnings. Not the best quarter, but they also announced a 90 cent supplemental dividend. And when you add that to the regular dividend, you got a stock that yields 4.7%. In the end, I think this story is all about the possibility of a soft landing. If the Fed can curb inflation without wrecking the economy, then the wood business can easily make a gigantic comeback. If not, well, it's difficult to own. So let's take a look with really kind of revolutionary in this business, Devin Stockfish. He's the straight shooting president and CEO of Warehouser to learn more about the quarter. What comes next? Mr. Stockfish, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. I've got to tell you, this is amazing. In 2022, with the huge number of rate increases by the Fed, you're the second highest annual adjusted EBITDA on the record, and your company's been around for a long time. How were you able to pull that off, despite the fact that the Fed did so much to cool the housing market last year? Yeah, Jim, I think first and foremost, it's really a testament to the terrific people that we have all across the company that executed across just a lot of challenges last year. You know, obviously, in the first half of the year, housing was remarkably strong. We did see that soften over the back half. But really, throughout it all, uh, our folks just continued to deliver for our customers and execute on our strategy. So that's really, uh, for us, that's the name of the game. Now, you, I, I want people to understand that you are still investing. You're buying, acquis- uh, you're buying Timberland. You're also determining when you should harvest. You're trying to get the, you maximize everything. How do you figure out what's the, when's the right time to cut, when's the right time to buy? Because you are probably the most important buyer of land in this country. Yeah, Jim, that's right. I mean, as you know, we are the largest private owner of Timberland in North America. We have about 11 million acres. One of the reasons that we built that portfolio over time is it's just slow and steady over time. We're in, the, we're in the market to buy Timberlands every year, year after year. We try to stay very disciplined in how we do that. We were, again, successful last year. We picked up some really nice Timberlands in the Carolinas. But that's just something that we do year after year. You know, In terms of our harvest, it's all about sustainable harvest. We've been doing that for over 100 years. It's about really matching the the amount of harvest to the amount you grow so that you can continue to manage these timberlands over very long periods of time. So how did you, uh, in the end, decide, I love the variable, I know you've been doing it for a couple of years, to give that particular amount out because it's such such a great return for your shareholders. Yeah, that's right, Jim. And, And we're really under our second year of our new cash return framework. And after we pay out this supplemental dividend that we announced yesterday, We've been returning $3.8 billion of cash back to shareholders over the last couple of years. And it's really premised on returning the vast majority of our free cash flow back to shareholders. So we have a, a policy that really is, is targeting 75 to 80 percent of our funds available to, uh, for distribution back to shareholders every year. And that's a combination of a quarterly dividend, a supplemental dividend, and, and share repurchase as well. Well, that's fantastic. I know our, our viewers love that. You know, we had Denbury on recently, and I was quite excited by them. I, didn't, I had no idea that they really are the driving force in this country for a carbon capture. You've teamed up with them for a CO2 sequestration site in Mississippi. And I've got to tell you, we did some work on that, you know, on subsurf poor. Uh, you are subsurface. I don't know how you know this technology, but this thing seems like it's going to be gigantic. Yeah, Jim, this is a really, really exciting opportunity for us. As a large landowner, 
with subsurface rights across our ownership, there's just a lot of opportunity as this carbon capture and storage technology continues to ramp. Uh, we did do a, a transaction uh, with Denbury in addition to Occidental Petroleum last year. I think there are a whole host of other opportunities for us. It does take a few years to get this technology up and running, get the pipelines built, get the permitting through. But as these continue to come on, this is gonna be a really nice business for us going forward. And we think the first two projects should come online in 2025 or 2026 and more to follow after that. So a really exciting opportunity for us. Well, I'm gonna ask you, are you surprised at the, the sudden rebound in the price of lumber when the Fed has taken rates to the height that it has? Yeah, Jim, you know, if you look back over the last couple of years, lumber prices have been historically volatile. We saw uh, extreme highs last year. And then as we, we got into the back half of last year, we saw lumber prices really fall off pretty dramatically, particularly as we got into the end of the year. I think a lot of the buyers, dealers, uh, distributors really lowered their inventory levels just because of the uncertainty uh, around housing. As we've gotten into January, I think you, you're starting to see some replenishment uh, of inventories. And, and, you know, really just even over the last few weeks, we've seen a few uh, hints of good news with, with home builder sentiment ticking up. We've seen mortgage applications starting to pick up as well as the mortgage rates have come down. So I think maybe there's a little bit more optimism in the market today than there was even a few months ago. So you follow the mortgage rates, you follow the lumber prices. I imagine you have to follow uh, international because you've got to deal uh, with with China, well, the China regulators are giving you a hard time, but there are many different variables. Uh, what are the most important things that you look at in order to determine how much you're going to harvest? Yeah, from a harvest level standpoint, it's really just based on sustainable harvest levels. So we have projections out over 40, 50, 60 years in terms of the rate at which our trees are growing. So we're always matching the yearly harvest to the amount of growth. So that, that stays pretty sustainable over time. You know, in terms of the international markets, as you know, we do have a pretty large market into, into Japan. Uh, I think there's also going to be an opportunity for us to ramp up our volumes to China as they come out of their Lunar New Year. So, you know, we have a lot of opportunities both in the U.S., North America, as well as international, primarily Asian markets. So uh, that's, that's really good for us just to have options to send our products, depending on what's going on uh, in any uh, particular geography. Well, look, it's great to have you on. When you were on last, we had a lot of people really like it because people want real estate investment trusts that have a growth characteristic. And I think you're doing a terrific job, and that supplemental dividend is fantastic. Devin Stockfish, President CEO of Warehouser. you got to look at the situation. It is a long-term, terrific situation. Thank you for coming on the show. Terrific. Thanks, Jim. Yep. Yeah, Mike's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. What is that? That's what it calls rapid fire. You say the name of stock and say it. Bye bye bye. Tell us God, don't go to the end. Play the sale. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Day? Time for the lightning round because we're going to have a start with Charles in Texas. Charles. Hello, Jim. Booyah. Charles. Booyah. I'm a club member from down in Creek, yes. Springs, Texas. And I'm calling because I don't know if I should buy more, sell, or hold in phase. Oh, man, no, Enphase is one of our favorites. Ben Stoto and I are always talking about it. We think that Enphase is the future. 
I know it's come down a lot, but it's still good. It's still good. Absolutely. Let's go to Glenn in Florida. Glenn. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Of course. Also appreciate your insights on the market. Had a question oh, sure about. <laughs> have a question about uh, L3 Harrison. Is this a time to really get in? Look, I got to tell you, everybody suddenly turned on the stock at the exact wrong time. They reported a great quarter. They're supposed to miss the quarter. The stock was up 15 today, and I got to tell you something. I rarely do this. It's still a buy because so many people are betting against it, and they're wrong. Let's go to Robert in California. Robert. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How's it going, man? Man, I'm chilling this weekend on Sunday at the Eagles. What's going on? I'm right. Uh, That's right. I'm waiting for that Eagles Niners game. Hey Jim, I'm uh, I'm wondering. I bought Dutch Bros at 32. Should I add or just hold it? Now you gotta wait. You gotta wait because we still see wage pressure. Don't forget, we got burrito. It's a burrito season. Chipotle needs 15,000 people. I think they're gonna go to the bro and take the people. All right, let's go to Rick in Pennsylvania. Rick. Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing, bud? I am doing well. How about you, partner? Good, good. Hey, I got one here that I think can make some people some mad money. It's uh, Fetch. Uh, Bar Fetch, S-T-C-H. This is crazy. This is the second time in 48 hours that I have heard about this Fetch. And the first time I called it Fletch. I don't know Fetch. I think we have to do Fetch. I think we're going to do Fetch. I'm putting Fetch in maybe even for when we go to the U for our college tour. That's how much I want to know about Fetch. Okay, let's go to, oh, let's go to Tyler in California. Tyler. Big Booyah from California. How you doing, Jim? Oh, man, it sounds like a familiar Booyah. Perfect, because my watch just went off and says that I'm too loud. That's me. It says I have 90 decibels. It says be careful, you're 90 decibels. That's great. I love that. It's warning me about me. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right, hey, uh, I'll, I'll make it quick. Uh, should I pack up and go on box? I think box is – I think you made the money in box. I say move on. You got a nice gain here. Is it the, at the high? Let's get something. Let's. I, you know what? I'm not kidding. I'd rather be an NVIDIA because I've been chatting all day with, with, with NVIDIA, and I'm loving the chat. I mean, I did a – we did a poem. You can actually see it if you're a member of the club. We did an ode to the mighty Dow Jones average. It was fabulous. Let's go to – you get a member of the club. You can see our ode. It's, it's worth the price of admission. Let's go to Don in New Jersey. Don. Yes, sir. Big booyah from New Jersey, Jim. Hope it's Southern Jersey. Sounds like with the accent, me and the Eagles. What's going on? Yes, sir. Hey, advanced auto parts. Buy more or hold? This stock is just, it's dying on a vine. Got a 4% yield. I love the auto parts business. My car itself is 17 years old. I'm saying, okay, let's go to John in New Jersey. We have a lot of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. John! Hey, Mr. Kramer, thanks for taking my call. How do you do, sir? I'm doing well. How about you, partner? What's going on? Yeah, Liz, I need your advice. Please let me know what you think about uh, C-Limited, SE. No, no, we think that there's, let's just, uh, I want to call that one too complex for me. How about that? Too complex. Let's go to Michael in Maryland. Michael. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Booyah, Michael. What's up? Calling about Origin Materials. They announced the mechanical completion of their Origin One facility in Sarnia this morning. Shout out Sarnia and John Birmingham's beard. 
You said First of all, they're, they're in West that. Sacramento, where I used to live in my car. It was a dynamite neighborhood. No one rousted me. Um, I don't know. This is carbon neutral. Or, orange, orange materials is another one that is, that's passed. We ought to do some work on it, but I like it. I like it. I like what they're up to. I like the, the, anything that's recycling. I like anything. Anything that's carbon negative is on my team. I'm on the carbon negative team. Me and them. Okay, let's go to Henry in Colorado. Henry. Mr. Kramer, thank you for having me on your show. Of course. Just wanted to get your thoughts on an investment club holding that got beat up early last year and has been consolidating since September. Buy, sell, or hold Bausch Health Company, BHC. Mm-hmm. All right, BHC, we've got that on a, what I would regard as being a retainer basis. We simply don't know what to do. They don't return our call. If they want to come on air, we can figure out whether what you should do the stub position. But right now, we are on the ixnay say because the BHC nay won't tell us what's going on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, should the famous slogan change to Intel outside? What gives? Find out next. When Intel reported its disastrous quarter last night, so ugly, so sad, I figured it'd take down the whole semiconductor space. Why not? That's how it usually plays out. As always, Intel presented its own problems as industry-wide problems, paying itself as a company that's doing its best in a tough environment. And this time, the environment is actually pretty tough. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger described a chip market that is glutted. Intel used to be the king of the group, and Wall Street still tends to take its word at face value even though the current Intel lost its way a long time ago and can't come back as fast as the CEO says. Sure enough, when the market opened, the semis were all indeed crushed, including direct competitors AMD and NVIDIA. They were implicated not by name, but by nuance. So why not? We assume that if Intel's bad, everybody else must be getting hurt too, right? But that isn't been true. It's not true. It hasn't been true for years. Nobody seems to recognize it, though, or at least they didn't until today. See, something crazy happened, something I never thought the market could do. It managed to be able to distinguish between truth and fiction on Intel's conference call. Both AMD and NVIDIA started rising, with NVIDIA rallying hard, in part because its chips are the platform for the now-beloved chat GPT, which is like artificial intelligence-powered bad lips, if you remember those. Intel's problems were Intel's problems. And while I can't guarantee that AMD or NVIDIA will report good quarters, the market's no longer foolishly assuming that they'll follow Intel's lead. Is it because portfolio managers now recognize the differences between Intel and the rest of the group? Maybe. But I think what's happening is more powerful. Ever since October of last year, when the dollar and interest rates peaked, this market has gotten collectively more bullish. It's no longer condemns an entire industry based on big numbers from a single company. It is, in a word, yeah, bullish. It's what a bull market looks like. And many people seem to be fighting or just saying it's the end of a tightening cycle or you can buy anything. Now, that would be an inappropriate view, especially because, one, it's not the end of a tightening cycle. And, two, if the Fed talks tough on Friday, which they're going to do, it means that you should sell everything. Sell, 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 sell. But that's wrong. Instead, the takeaway here should be that maybe Intel's doing poorly for Intel's reasons. I know the semi-business is in rough shape, but Intel's particularly bad. 
And in a bull market, one stock can't pull down an entire sector. In a bull market, what I call the ETFization of groups goes away. Money managers don't check the brains at the door anymore. I want you to be thinking about this next week when we get a slew of important earnings reports. When Apple reports Thursday after the bell and it's not perfect, don't sell all of tech. And maybe buy some Apple after it settles. When Meta Platforms reports next week, don't extrapolate. As we say in law school, this company and its creator are sui generis like no other. Most important, if you're about to panic when Jay Powell talks tough next week, remember that's his job. There's still plenty of wage inflation, even if many indicators are going in the right direction. Unlike 2021 or the first two-thirds of 2022, as I've been saying for months now, I think we've got a real bull market going. Make a shopping list of the best quarters you've seen and get ready to buy those stocks, not sell them. Just think of today when the semis rallied despite Intel. That's this market's zeitgeist. I say don't fight it. Join it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.